At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Amen. Good morning, Woodside. It's great to be with you today. Uh, before, we, before we open up the Bible, I just want to take a moment. Alex is sharing. Uh, by the way, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor. We started attending the last two months. It's great to meet you. Um, but uh, before we get started, pa- Pastor Alex had shared about uh, some other ways for you to get involved in giving. If you, if you haven't been, if you've been living under a rock, you maybe haven't seen what's going on around the world right now. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on, things in Afghanistan. I mean, just people are living in horrible uh, situations, and even in Haiti. Uh, man, so much going on in Haiti. Uh, I've been there a number of years ago, and to see what's happening there previously, and then, you know, uh, political unrest, and tropical storms, and earthquakes, and all that's happening, I mean, devastation beyond belief. Um, and at first, Woodside was trying to figure out how can we help? How can we get involved? Because it's not just about Metro Detroit. It's not just about Woodside Bible Church. It's about people. Every person made in the image and likeness of Jesus, hearing and knowing about Jesus, and then just helping people. And so we've been praying about it. At first, we didn't think we could do anything in Afghanistan because there's no way to get any material goods in there and stuff like that. But, man, we want to give you an opportunity to come alongside Woodside so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in other places. And so we have a great partner called Mission of Hope in Haiti. I've been there before, led a missions trip to that place. It's a beautiful, amazing place. They do so much for uh, the nation of Haiti. they, They literally feed hundreds of thousands of people every day. It's wild, and so we want to come alongside them, partner that with them for the aids and needs that they could be the hands and feet of Jesus in, in, in Haiti as well. In Afghanistan, unable to get into the country, obviously, we do know individuals that are there and partners that are there, and God is still doing amazing work there, but we also want to uh, um, come alongside the church and come alongside a- Afghanistan uh, refugees, as we know here in Hamtramck. Um, We have a partner in Hamtramck that partners with refugees that have come to the U.S. legally and have aged out of the foster care system. Now they're trying to figure out life, and so want to help partner them. And also our partner in Rome also uh, does a ton with refugees coming from Afghanistan and other places. We want to partner along with them. You just go to woodsidebible.org at the very top. You'll see there's a banner there you can click on to come alongside of those people around the world. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this season uh, because, man, I don't know if you know, but uh, God is so good to us. Uh, not through just through Jesus, but also our worst day here is better than most people's day around the world. And so I just want to take a moment. Would you pray with me? Um, I want to pray for the people of Afghanistan, those who are their, their followers of Jesus that are being persecuted, but also those that need to know Jesus, those that are persecuting, that they would come to know Jesus. And uh, pray for the people of Haiti and all those people around the world that need Jesus. I'd like you to pray there. It's not me praying, but us praying together. Would you take a moment, just bow your head, begin to pray, and then I'm going to pray in a moment, and we'll just lift them up before the Lord. God, we come to you today with heavy hearts and minds seeing the devastation around the world, God. Knowing and acknowledging that you are sovereign over all things and that you were working things out for your good purposes. And God, we know that you love every person 
every person that's walking through hardship today and in great need, whether they know you, Lord, or they don't. And so, God, I lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, those in Haiti and those in Afghanistan that are, are, are trying to uh, bring forward the kingdom of God, trying to bring heaven to earth in a place that is very hard. And so, God, would you protect them? Would you give them vision? Would you give them joy in circumstances? God, would you bless them? Would you protect them? Would you help them to stand up for your kingdom, even if it means harm to themselves or their family? God, we pray over our brothers and sisters in Haiti and great devastation. We pray for our partners, Mission of Hope, that they're doing a good work there, God, and many people are coming to know you. I've seen them. God, I remember when I was there and with Mission of Hope and watching a witch doctor come to know Jesus. God, you're doing in many things and you're working in powerful ways. And so, God, I ask that you would move mightily in those places and then help us, Woodside Bible Church, to come alongside of those partners to be your hands and feet, even with our material goods, that they might be able to further their kingdom purposes that you've called them to. But God, may it be something that we remember, not just something that's today, but we would continue to go back for, pray for the people in Afghanistan and in Haiti and other places around the world that greatly need you. God, we leave it all in your hands, and uh, may our best efforts of blessing those places with financial needs, uh, may we see great things come from that, Lord. It's in your powerful name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, man. Really weird. This is the longest I ever have not preached. I have not preached in a very long time. So I might be a little rusty today. Ten weeks out. Wild, I've never not preached for ten weeks in my entire time of ministry in 14 years. And so I kind of forgot about it while I was gone. Because that's my job. I wasn't supposed to think about it. And so, man, if I'm all over the place or if I'm just not that good, it's okay. Um, it's great to have you, and I'm, great to, uh, I'm grateful to be able to open up God's Word. Uh, if you haven't been around, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be focusing in on chapter 2 and verses 18 through 26. And while you turn there, just want to bring you up to date. If you're online or you're here, we've been walking. We have a five-week series that we've been a part of. I haven't been a part of, but you've been a part of, called Smoke and Mirrors. That um, as all the world tries to bring about these things that might capture our attention, uh, our joy, our fulfillment, all these things, it's just smoke and mirrors. Uh, as we hear from the writer of Solomon. And next week we're going to be wrapping it up, and we've been just chasing after all of these different topics that the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote. I mean, we started in the very beginning of the series reading these words. It says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. The son of King David, king of Jerusalem. Most people agree that we're talking about Solomon here, Solomon's the writer of Ecclesiastes. And this is the same king that built the temple. There's the same king who was super successful and wealthy and, and, and just wise beyond comprehension. And he had accomplished pretty much everything there is to accomplish. Man, you think you have an accomplished life. At the end of the day, your life does not even compare to Solomon. He captured it all. And then we read what he says at the beginning of chapter 2 in verses 9 through 11, Solomon said, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And listen to this. And behold, all was vanity. It was striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's all smoke and mirrors, as he was saying. It's all stuff that looks like it's great, it's fantastic, I accomplished it all. But really, at the end of the day, it didn't pan out. It was actually vain. It was like chasing the wind. You ever done that before? If you have, I'd love to chat with you afterwards. We need to discuss a few things. But it's vain. And we've been going through all these different topics that he brings up in Ecclesiastes. We talk about naturalism and and intellectualism, and hedonism, and last week, individualism. And today, we're going to chase after a topic that maybe is more important than all the other ones for us to wrestle with truly in this moment that we're living in. It's fascinating. I was part of my sabbatical, my time off. I took three weeks, three full weeks, and my family just packed up my four-door Jeep Wrangler. We stacked everything we could. I mean, literally, there's stuff hanging off the side to put a family of five in a Wrangler with no trailer or anything. We were going to live on the road for three weeks. We wanted a month. We cut our trip a little bit short. But three weeks, can you imagine? I bet you can. It's fascinating. I thought, I thought in my fleshly thinking that when you go on sabbatical, don't your children become angels? I thought they rested in their true identity, and they're like, they have a glow about them as they ride 6,500 miles in the backseat of a Wrangler, three deep. Like, it's just fascinating. It's awesome. But no, they're not. They're actually the opposite. They went the other direction, as it was fantastic. It was amazing, actually. But it's, it's great because for three weeks, sleeping on a blow-up mattress making coffee outside, sometimes in the cold or the real heat, burnt coffee, cooking all of my food on the same grill morning, afternoon, and night, mosquitoes, and sounds awesome, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? No. But let me tell you, this is why I share this. At the end of the day, when we're talking about what we're talking about this morning with materialism, It's fascinating to me. For three weeks, when I didn't have any modern amenities, mostly, I didn't have a lot of stuff, I experienced some of the most joy I've experienced in my life. I didn't need anything. Everything that was important to me was with me. And in those times when I didn't really have all of the modern things that we have that many times grapple for our attention, our joy, and our satisfaction was some of the most deep and rich and profound times I had with God. Isn't that fascinating? It's fascinating to me. Because when we look at what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes today, and he focuses on materialism, can I tell you, more than any time in human history, this is a topic in this country that we need to wrestle with. As so many of us are wrapped up, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, in chasing after the next greatest thing that will maybe, hopefully, we hope, 
satisfy us, bring us joy, bring us goodness, and we will be able to rest for our days knowing that we have made it or we've built it or we've accomplished it. But the first thing we're going to look at is just this question, why don't I feel like I have enough? You ever felt like that? Like, why don't I feel like I have enough as you've grown through life and you've experienced this or that, if you've built your family, you've built your career, you've, you've saved up for retirement, and at the end of the day, it just does, feels like what he's talking about here. Let's read in verse 18. He says this, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. In verse 19, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master, um, excuse me, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil. This also is vanity and great evil. In verse 22, what has, a, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Even after the... Solomon, the greatest king maybe in Israel's history, though he accomplished the most, even in all of that, at night his heart still doesn't rest. Why? I mean, one theologian says that this section it should be called the confession of a workaholic. Anybody can, can anybody uh, feel that pain? You got, that, you got that, that gear, the workaholism? We work a little bit more so we can have a little bit more so we can keep up with the neighbors? Then we have our wives work a little bit more, or our husbands, so we can keep up with the neighbors or the stuff or all the things that we chase after. But all of this, man, it, it's amazing. When you look at it in verse 18, he said, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Why did he hate his toil? Why was he so overwhelmed by the striving of his life and the toil of his life? Why? He makes it super clear at the beginning. It's because he saw that it would be left to someone else who would come after him. He understood that there is one thing that everyone in this room has in common, and that is one day we will be lowered down into a grave. And all of our stuff will not be dumped down into the grave with us so he could take it with us. It will be left, as he says in the text, for someone else who didn't strive. And Solomon's struggle is that one day someone else is going to have the things that he toiled for. It's vanity that it will not Last And the word toil here is key because it's letting us know there's a shift in the text, right? That in the past, it was the past previous section, he was talking about the pursuit of wisdom. And here now we move back to what he was talking about in verses 1 through 11 where he's back on the topic of wealth and rewards. Listen, this is the thing. At the end of the day, Solomon is wrestling with the fact that the nemesis of death is carried over from the previous section, whether it's wisdom or whatever it may be, as it did with wisdom, death renders toil ultimately without 
meaning. We can strive after everything under the sun. We can gain the whole world, but at the end of the day, it doesn't move on with us as what he's wrestling with. Man, I'm the wealthiest guy in the world. I have more wisdom than everyone else in the world. I've accomplished more than any other king, but all of it doesn't matter because one day it's not going with me. It's fascinating. Did you know Jesus was a wisdom teacher? He was a rabbi. He expounded with wisdom. And the whole, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's great wisdom teaching, but I love what Jesus shares in Luke chapter 12. It's almost, it's very similar to what we hear here. In chapter 12, Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people. I mean, so much so that they're kind of trampling on each other because he's such a good teacher. And, and man, he's starting to teach his disciples when, man, someone shouts out this man, shouts out, and he wants Jesus to deal with his inheritance with his brother. So he basically says, hey, Jesus, will you make my brother split his inheritance with me? So he's probably the younger brother, because the oldest brother would get the lump sum of the inheritance. And he wants this wisdom teacher, this rabbi, to tell his brother that he should split the inheritance with him. And Jesus, long story short, goes, why am I your arbiter? Why am I this, this person that's supposed to tell you what to do with your inheritance? And then he goes on to teach this fascinating story. He says this, someone in the crowd yells out, excuse me, jump down, uh, if you're reading uh, chapter 12 of Luke and verse 14, he's, but he said to the man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be in your guard, listen to this, against all covetousness, for one's life, does this sound familiar, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus tells him a parable, as he often does, in verse 16, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, man, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all of my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. Never want to hear that from God. Just a side note, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is exactly what Solomon is saying. He says, man, I'll build bigger barns, and I'll put more stuff in it, and I'll accumulate more stuff for me. And then at the end of the day, God looks back at him and says, fool, tonight, today, your life is required of you. That, man, we can store up all this stuff, live for all of the material stuff in the world and strive after finding satisfaction in all the world and build up all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, tomorrow, we could be standing before the Lord is what he's saying. What do we live for? Is what Jesus is saying, what Solomon is saying. Man, Jesus answers the man's request with this beautiful parable that strikes us in the heart. And essentially it says this, man, if I can just build more, gain more, collect more, then I will find comfort for my soul. But man, we know that's not true. I said my favorite passage in scripture, probably the Sermon on the Mount. I love the way Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this fascinating thing in chapter 6. If you want to write it down and look at it later. He teaches on this topic and he says this, in verse 19 of chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroy. I said heaven before, but I meant earth. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And jump down a couple verses. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. You're still on this topic of money or possessions. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I've always like, kind of stopped right there. Like, man, that's a great truth. Jesus is a wisdom teacher. This is a great pithy truth. This is awesome, right? I know at the end of the day I can't serve God and money and, man, lay up for myself, treasures in heaven, absolutely. But did you know that the Bible wasn't chopped up into verses? It was written in the way that it was written that actually Jesus continued on with the sermon. Do you know what it says right after this? Therefore. Well, that means he's talking. He's building off of what he just said before. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food, or the body more than clothing? And then he goes on, and he tells this fascinating story about how birds don't gather food for themselves, but God provides for them, and how, how the, the flowers of the field don't clothe themselves, but God makes them beautiful. And then he looks at his disciples and says, are you not worth more than those? And then he says this amazing thing. He says, lay up for yourselves. Or excuse me, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And all the things you're anxious about will be added to you. Can I tell you, for the first time a few years ago, sitting in a seminary class with Dr. Pennington, one of my favorite professors, shares this truth with me, and I never really realized it until I saw it. There's a reason why God says right afterwards, don't live for money, you can't live for both. And then he says, don't be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God. Did you know that the more you have, the more anxious you become? There is a connection, Jesus is saying, that when you live for success and money and stuff and materials and all these things, and that's what you're striving after and living for, there's this elevated sense of anxiety that you won't have enough or you won't be enough or you can't gain enough. There's a connection there. Can I tell you, we're living in a world where people are living more and more and more from material possessions and stuff and money. And can I tell you, we're living in one of the highest societies of anxiety. suicide, of not being satisfied. And Jesus has been saying it the whole time. It's because it's vain, and it actually brings in us an anxiousness, man. I have some friends that bought in early to Dogecoin, if you know what that is. They were loving life at the beginning. Man, they're a little anxious now. That might be funny, but man, at the end of the day, this is what he is saying. We live in a world where we are constantly preached at that the, the, the satisfaction we need is right at our fingertips. Can I tell you, I'm reading a book right now. It's fascinating, and it talks about how much money credit card companies spend on advertising. You'd be blown away. And it's even in their advertising. Man, do, can anybody tell me real quick, and you could talk. I promise this is in church. It's okay to talk. Do you know what Chase's, Chase Bank's credit card company is called, or credit card is called? Anybody? Freedom. That's not by accident, guys. It literally says, chase freedom. And they're selling us a bill of goods, of smoke and mirrors. 
And actually, they're not selling freedom. They're selling bondage. And the world is buying into it that if I could just have the next thing or, or the, 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 this piece or whatever it might be, at the end of the day, man, I will be satisfied. But really, at the end of the day, they're more and more experiencing what Solomon experienced. It's just vain, empty. It's broken. That the pursuit of stuff and I'll say this again, but stuff is not a problem. But the pursuit, of, the pursuit of stuff without the pursuit of Jesus is just empty and broken. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for all of us to stop and pause and just take a moment to examine our hearts that maybe once upon a time you found it really easy to not get caught up in materialism and the trap of it. But somewhere along the way, many started to drift and feel the tension of wanting to build bigger barns and hold even more things in those barns that you might be satisfied. Can I tell you, Ecclesiastes reminds us that all of the work and the toil for material gain will only leave us vexed. Do you know what vexed means? Vexed means annoyed, irritated, angry, exasperated, upset, and inflamed because it's never enough and it never satisfied. Does that not explain some of our cultural experience in our life? Maybe you feel vexed, annoyed, irritated, angry, upset, overwhelmed. Man, why do you feel what you feel? Is it possible that your treasure has stopped being stored or pursued for the things of heaven and it started to pursue the things of this world? Man, can I tell you, nothing that you might possibly desire in this world, you've probably already experienced this, will give us infinite joy. But man, Jesus comes to us, and that's where we find, yes, you've enjoyed the things that he's given us, but in him, finding this infinite, endless, boundless, majestic love that we find our identity and purpose and joy and satisfaction in. Because this is the thing, at the end of the day, God is an incredible, do you know this? God is an incredibly generous God. Do you believe that? Sweet? Man, I, I can... Just this morning, we're singing a song, and I see the evidence all around me. That where God has just lavished his goodness on me. I don't know if you, you can experience that or you know that. But God is unbelievably generous. And what's beautiful is he shares that generosity with us. As we see as we just move forward, is that God shares his spoils with his people. This is the kind of God we serve. Look with me in verse 24. It says, there's this, there's this shift that happens. See if you can notice it. There is nothing better, in verse 24, for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his, in his toil. This is awesome, right? I mean, God didn't just live us, uh, leave us here to live life that wasn't enjoyable. Man, he wants us to live life and life to the full. And it's okay to enjoy the things that God has blessed us with in life. There's a lot of wealthy people in the Bible. What God is catching after, what God is coming after is our heart. Where's our heart at the end of the day? So he says, man, that we should, that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his soul or in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. There's a switch. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So he says, for to the one who pleases him, that is God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, listen to this, 
only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. And the first section is super weighty and clear that God is speaking to us through the mouth and the writing of Solomon about materialism, man. That it's vexation. That's annoying. It makes us angry and irritated and exasperated and upset. Did you read here in the opposite side? He says here, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, who lives for God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The opposite of being vexed. That man, when I'm pursuing after the Lord and there's a perspective change here that all that I have, all that I've experienced, all that I am comes at the hand of God. That's where I experience true joy, not chasing after these things, right? I mean, Solomon says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. Man, the, it's like he's saying to the Lord, Lord, I, the food I eat and the drink that quenches my thirst comes from you, God. It's a gift from you. I didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're like, I, just, I disagree with that, Jim. I work pretty hard for what I have. And you don't even understand, I work 12 hours a day so my family can experience what they experience. And Jim, you don't even know, like, I'm smarter than, like, everybody at work. Well, how do you think I got to where I am? Can I just ask you for a moment, was it you or was it God that allowed you to be born where you are, or could you be experiencing what the people of Afghanistan are experiencing right now? Was it the good grace of God in your life for some reason, unmerited, that you were getting to experience even the, the, the things that are not in Christ, in, that we get to experience every single day? Or would you be living somewhere in a place like Haiti where they have basically nothing? Is your mind that you created or God give you that mind that's smarter than everyone at work? That skill that you have, where did that come from? At the end of the day, even in our toil, he's saying there's a change of mind that even in my good work and striving after things as I toil, even in all of that, it comes from the good grace and hand of God. That there should be a mindset change that you see everything different, and because of that, then you live differently. Man, when I believe that everything I have comes from me, why would I not just spend it on me? Why would I not just pursue after it for me? But man, when I understand that everything I have, from the beautiful children I have, to the home that I live in, to the country I live in, to the places that I do life, and all that I've experienced in life comes at the good hand and the grace of God, man, that changes my perspective. It changes how I steward the material things that God's given me. That even as I pursue after more things and striving after a career, which is a great thing, I still do it in the back of my mind knowing that it's going after I'm living for God and it came from God. That I'm finding myself in Christ. I see this parallel. It's interesting. In Genesis. Remember the Genesis story in the beginning where God creates everything. In verse 29 of chapter 1 of Genesis is what it says. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So then what happens? 
God gives them all this beautiful, amazing stuff. What is the first sin? Of course, we know what the first sin is, that God told them not to eat of this tree. And Eve went and was, was fooled, literally, like our series, Smoke and Mirrors, from Satan, and was tricked into eating of the fruit. And the man is not absent. He stood by and watched it happen, and then he partook. That's what we know what happened, but it's amazing. Have you considered this, that God created the heavens and the earth. He saw that all it was good. He created plants and animals and Adam and Eve, and he gave food, and he provided every need, and it was good. There was no boundaries between God and man, and God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden, and man, there was just one rule. Just one rule. That's when sin... The appetite for more invaded the story. God's a good God, and he's unbelievably generous, right? That's what we said. That's our big idea for today, that God is generous. They had everything they needed. They had perfect union with God. But they believed the lie of Satan that they needed more. That God wasn't for them, that it was a scarcity mentality, that God was holding them back from something that was much better. That they could be like God. Man, and just like Adam and Eve discovered, Solomon declares that apart from the Lord, there is no enjoyment. And that is exactly what Adam and Eve went on to experience. That from that point on, separated from God, all of that they had was now not fully being able to be enjoyed because they were not in union with the Lord anymore. They didn't get to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day anymore. They didn't get to enjoy the beauty of a perfect world anymore. They, they, they messed it up because they thought they needed more. And they believed the lie that Satan had dangles in front of us every single day, whether it's on billboards or television, through credit cards, or whatever it may be, that, man, we just need more. And it's just smoke and mirrors because at the end of the day, God looks back and says, it's just vain. It's vanity when you're pursuing it for satisfaction and to gain more at the end of the day. If you're not pursuing Jesus and you're pursuing all this other stuff, it's literally, I don't want to be too over the top, but it's literally idols. You're looking for something else to bring about in your life what only was designed for God. And he says, this is the statement. When our enjoyment is in the Lord, then it allows us to enjoy the gifts that he has provided to us rather than to find our satisfaction, purpose, and all the rest in them. Man, I love, I love Romans. I'm so looking forward to the summer or this fall. We're going to be doing a series through the book of Romans, a number of chapters through Romans. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. We love this section of passage of scripture. It's quoted all the time. It's put on t-shirts and mugs and all this good stuff. It's fantastic. But at the end of the day, I don't know if we let it sink down into our soul of where we truly are. It says this in Romans 8 and verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? So we just stop there for a moment. What things? I mean, the apostle Paul has been writing in how we can have life in Christ and we're heirs with Christ and all that we have in Christ. And then in a moment, he says, what then should we say to these, say, these things? And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And everybody's like, yeah! As we should. 
But then in verse 32, he says, he, did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. This is exactly what they're saying. That God is an incredibly generous God. And like I said, he, he's a God who shares the spoils with his people. That he has shared his spoils with us in Christ, that when he conquered on the, on the cross, he overcame sin, death, and hell for us, that I can now have first purpose and joy and life in Christ. And then at the same time, why would he not also give us everything that we need? And I, oftentimes in my own life, turn and pursue and chase after things that will never satisfy, that will never fulfill me. And we believe the lie, the smoke and mirrors we're told every single day. And this will satisfy you. Get to this place, make this much, have another house. All the while not living like God is a part of our lives in our resources and our materials. And we become like Adam and Eve where it robs us of life and joy and union with God. And if you're watching today or you're here in the room and you've never surrendered to literally the lordship of Jesus in your life, man, you've probably spent your life chasing after all kinds of appetites. Maybe it's education for you. And man, I gotta be the smartest person. Or maybe it's something you find, tried to find um, gain in family and building a family or business. Or maybe for you it's toys. You like nice stuff. You have a better house than your neighbor. You have a nicer car than your neighbor. And you have all this stuff or clothes or whatever it may be. And all of that, you just never really satisfied. I have no doubt that you have already learned this lesson in life, but everything you will experience in this life will never satisfy. But today can be a different day for you where God changes everything. That he takes your heart of pursuing materialism and he roots and he grounds you in an identity in Christ that will not change because as you chase after the things of this world, they will change like the latest fashion and so will your identity and your joy. And if you haven't learned that in the last couple of years, that if my joy was in the security of my home or the security of my house or, or excuse me, of my job or whatever it may be, that will fluctuate with the times every single day. And your identity can be so much more in Christ. Today, come chat with me or Alex or someone else. We'd love to talk to you about how you can give your life to Christ. For men, for the rest of us here and those watching in line, maybe for you, you've surrendered to Jesus, but it's been a while since you've done some evaluation. Maybe you've drifted a little bit. Man, you, you've forgotten or not been reminded of the identity and calling you have in your life to make Jesus known and to know him. That is your greatest mission. Not the promotion you're looking for, not the stuff you're traveling after. Your, 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 your identity and your purpose is not to come to church once a week so Jim can blab or Alex or John or Steve or Doug Schmidt or any other person so you can get filled up and pumped up for the week and then go live for yourself six days a week. That is not the calling God has in your life. God has called you to know him and make him known, finding all of your satisfaction in him. Can I just ask you this morning before I'm done? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? If there's anything I've learned in the last six months or so, I thought I knew it more before, but I've only learned it to a greater extent. 
what your relationship with Jesus looks like will carry into every area of your life. How in the world are you to live in a culture that we live in and try to overcome the materialism of our day all the while not having a deep, profound, intimate relationship? And I tell you, it is an impossibility. You will believe the lies of Satan. You will chase after the wind. Without a relationship with Jesus that is vibrant, I'm not talking about praying a prayer when you're 12 and then just coping for the best the rest of your life, a profound relationship with Jesus where you're sitting and listening for God to speak to you in the word of God and you're praying and you're a part of formative community together and maybe just doing some evaluation on yourself today or this week, looking at your life and saying, man, Lord, what am I running after? Some easy checks are like, where does your material goods go? If all of your material goods, I've said this many times before, point right back at you, I don't have to question you or sit down with you. You are living out materialism right now. Because God is a generous God. He's so generous with us that we have amazing good things even in Christ and outside of Christ. And as little Christ, God calls us to not be materialistic, but to be generous. In your life, what does it look like? I can't tell you, but man, one thing, we're going to close with a song today called, um, there's a phrase in it, I'm running to your arms. And I wonder if we think about that song as we sing, what are you chasing after? Are you chasing after the, the, most, the latest thing that's going to give you purpose, identity, it's going to give you hope, and, and one day I'm going to be all good. It's going to be fantastic and great, and in that you're finding or you're trying to find what is only meant to be found in Christ. Today, respond to the song and say, Lord, I'm running to you today. I'm going to do some evaluation. I need to do some heart check this week to see where I am because, Lord, I know what Jim is saying is right and true, but it's hard for me to live out. And today, Lord, I just want to say I'm running to you. Help me to overcome this. I don't want to live in this way because I know, Lord, that what Jim is saying, Satan has us all tricked. It's just smoke and mirrors. We'll never truly be satisfied. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for, ah, man, the wisdom of so many years ago from the Old Testament that has no change, Lord. There's been no difference Today, we see the same struggling, the same wrestling today. And so, God, we know that it's, it's, it's prevalent in our society. It's prevalent in this church, prevalent in our hearts. Would you help us to do soul work, Lord? Because it's not about the things, Lord. You don't care if we chase after a great career. We don't, you don't care if we, we are living in our calling, even to be someone who is doing well. At the end of the day, Lord, you want our hearts. You just want us to be looking to the thing, the purpose, the person of Christ that is the good giver of all things. Would you change our minds and our hearts, Lord? And then out of that, would you change our hands to live differently, response and call to what you've called us to? May we take the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, of, Song, of Solomon, excuse me, and drive it deep in our hearts. 
And even now, respond by saying, Lord, I'm running to your arms. Not anywhere else. I'm not running after any other thing. I know you're the only thing that will satisfy. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.